If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to join me in Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. I don't know about you, but I wish I had the energy that Adeline had. I was watching that taking place like, wow. And, and Carla was like, settle down. I'm like, no, don't settle her down. That is just, that's wonderful. I love to be able to see that. Yeah. Last week, we began looking at discipleship as we uh, talk about being a biblical church. We've looked at worship. We've looked at the word of God. We've looked at prayer. Uh, we've looked at biblical community. Uh, we've looked at evangelism. And then the, the last the few weeks ago, we looked at the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And now we're in the subject of discipleship. And last week we came up with uh, or shared this, uh, this explanation of what discipleship is by Pastor Mark Dever. He says, discipleship is helping others follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in their lives. So think through that. Discipleship is not what we sometimes think. It's doing deliberate spiritual good in someone's life so that they will follow Jesus in a greater way. And he defines spiritual good as initiating teaching, correcting, modeling, loving, counseling, and, and influencing. And if you know, each one of those words is all about others. And if you were here last week, we, we noted in our message that Jesus never actually says to be a disciple. His command is to make disciples. And why is that? I mean, why, why does Jesus not tell us to be a disciple? It's because it's in the act of making disciples that we grow most in being a disciple as we tell others and show others and teach others and model for others what it means to follow christ we grow most we closed the message last week with just a few admonitions just to review with you we first said as a disciple to follow jesus and while a disciple is a follower jesus had a greater desire than just to choose 12 men to walk where he walked he desired for them to be with him. The reason Jesus calls us to follow him is so that we're with him. And we see that clearly in Mark chapter 3, where the verse ends with Jesus sending them to preach and to cast out demons, but none of that takes place until they're with Jesus. Because it's in being with Jesus that we become more like Jesus, so we can live as he lived. How did Jesus live? He lived so differently. He stood out from the crowd. Amazingly, if you think of the Pharisees and the, the scribes and the religious leaders, Jesus was far more holy than they were. But sinners flocked to be with Jesus because he loved them the way that they were. And as he loved them, they changed. Because they listened to his heart. You think of Zacchaeus. You think of the woman at the well. You think of the de demoniac of Gadara. They, they were comfortable with Jesus. And so he could teach them, which changed them, which caused them to want to go leave and change others. And as we follow Jesus, as we are, as we are with him, and as we are like him in discipleship, last week we look for him. Because discipling is hard work. I mean, think about Jesus. When he died, you look at his disciples and you might think, well, even the Son of God failed. One disciple at the crucifixion. 
No disciples we know of at the resurrection. That was why he came. That was his whole purpose in living was I'm going to die for the sins of man. They're going to bury me, but I'm going to rise again to show I am who I claim to be, that you know me to be, and they weren't anywhere to be found. But you know what is amazing to me about Jesus? The very first word out of his mouth after seeing these men that he had poured his life into, who in essence failed to be the men he desired them to be, After his resurrection, both in Luke 24 and in John 20, we see the first word out of Jesus' mouth to his disciples. Peace. That wouldn't have been the first word out of my mouth. Are you kidding me? I wasted three years on you. Where were you? Peace. What a disciple maker Jesus was, and yet that's who we're called to be. Someone who knows faults and failures of others but still continues to pour their life into those people not simply because those people are worthy but because the father is worthy i want to use the passage we we shared in closing last sunday a passage that gives the what and the why and we'll get to Acts 17 in just a moment but paul the apostle paul is summarizing his ministry here in colossians chapter 1 verse 24 He says this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And here's the answer to discipleship. What is discipleship? Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why discipleship? that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He doesn't, doesn't make it sound easy. He says, for this I toil, struggling, but with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The what of discipleship is to proclaim Christ. The why of discipleship is to present mature Christians. And we could go on and on on just these two questions, but we're going to move on to a few other questions about discipleship today that we'll try to answer. First, where and when? Where and when? For for this, I'd love to have you look at Acts chapter 17, where, where if you were to read the chapter, the Apostle Paul is regularly proclaiming Jesus. If you look at verse number two, we find Paul first in the synagogue. So look at Acts chapter 17 and verse number two. It says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Verse 4 says, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. And he's going to talk about them. But then verse 5 begins with, but the Jews were jealous. Here's what we have to understand. Paul went into the synagogue to proclaim 
But the results are out of Paul's hands. But he knew where the Jews would be and he knew when they would be there. We find the same thing in verse number 17. Would you look down at verse number 17 of Acts chapter 17? It says of Paul, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. Once again, he's in the synagogue where he knows the Jews are going to be. But then it also says, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. I'm going purposely into the synagogues to talk to the Jews. And I'm going to go to the marketplace and whoever's there, I'm going to talk. I'm going to proclaim Christ to them. And then skip down to verse 23, if you would. Paul speaking from a philosopher's hill in Athens says, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul is going to gather with religious people and said, I saw an altar that you had. It was to the unknown God. And I'm going to tell you about that unknown God because I know him and I'm going to proclaim him to you. And he's going to spend about 11 verses talking about it. And then at the end in verse 32, this is what we find at the end of Paul's proclamation of Jesus now, when they heard, verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. In this chapter, what would we see Paul doing? Meeting people where they were, when they were there. He went to the synagogue to meet the Jews because that's where he knew the Jews would be and when they'd be there. Went to the marketplace to meet whoever was there when they knew that they would be there. He went to the philosopher's hill to meet with the religious people because he knew that's where they would be and when they would be there. And that is exactly what we have to do today. Because I promise you, it doesn't matter what special day we want to plan as a church. We could put up as big of a sign out front as we want. Educator's Day, Fireman's Day, Policeman's Day, EMT Day. It doesn't matter what sign we put out front. Guess what? An unbeliever is not going to walk into these doors because we have a sign out on the front lawn. Used to be that they would. That's not going to happen anymore. Unbelievers are terrified of walking into a church. Now, to be honest, some believers are terrified of walking into a church that they don't know. And what that means is the longer we as a church wait for people to enter these four walls to hear about Jesus, the longer it's going to be until they hear about Jesus. See, we have to go with the gospel to them. See, if we're going to proclaim Christ and make disciples, we must go to meet people where they are and when they're there. One of the things Pastor Mike has regularly talked to me in our pastor's meetings, and Pastor Mike, the pastor of discipleship, has, has used the word rhythms and talking about the, the rhythms of life. And what we often do as a church is say, we have a rhythm, so if you want us to participate in your life, get in our rhythm. But if we're going to reach people, what we need to be do, willing to do is say, we'll get into your rhythm and that's that's why just to be honest with you why we haven't rushed into having more services more programs and more bible studies just here at the church do we need to grow and learn and more and grow in our understanding of who jesus is and what it means to follow jesus yes we have to grow but you will grow most not by sitting together with a bible open listening to one person you will grow most of the bible open you teaching 
speaking, investing in someone else. We've really tried to be intentional as a church to create space in your life to enter the rhythms of others. To invite people into your homes or into the homes of the life groups that, that we have meeting around the community. To, to go to people where they are, to get into their rhythm so you have a chance to proclaim Christ so that one day mature believers can be found. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus is ascending back up into heaven, he says to his disciples who have gathered around, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, and to us, to be real honest, these are faraway places in times long ago. But can I, forgive me, but can you give me liberty to change these words of Jesus just a little bit? If you were standing there, if he were to send today, in our presence, he'd say, you will be my witnesses in Luray or Stanley or whatever town you live in. And in all Virginia, and wherever people don't like you, that's Samaria, where the people don't like you, on all the way to the end of the earth. And you may say, oh man, Pastor, I'm never going to go to the ends of the earth. And, but see, that's what's so cool about discipleship, because you, you got to understand, what happens with discipleship is it's by making disciples, you can send the truth of Jesus to places you will never visit and times you will never live. Think about that. You could send the truth of Jesus to places like the other side of the world, and you could send the truth of Jesus to times after you have died, and we do that through discipleship. It's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 17. In John 17, we know it as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He is about to go to the cross, and he's praying to the Father, saying, Lord, would you, would you give these disciples, these here who are with me, these 11 disciples, would you give them the same unity with you and with one another that I have with you. And then in verse 20, Jesus says something amazing. I do not ask for these only, he says, meaning not only these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus was praying for the disciples that would believe in Jesus through the word of the disciples who were right there with Jesus. That means he was praying for us. Because we are people who have believed through the words of the disciples of who Jesus is. Because Jesus knew, he knew that's why he could pray for us. He knew that people would continue to believe in him long after he was gone, long after his disciples were gone, because his disciples would make disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples who would eventually make a disciple who would introduce you to Jesus. And then he calls us now to introduce Jesus to others. Jesus was praying for us in the garden because Jesus knew discipleship worked. But I know that can still leave us shaking our head like, well, what about the all nations thing? That's not even possible. Well, let's not complicate things. Making disciples of all nations begins by making disciples where you are. Because God can call those here to go to the nations We've seen that, right? As a church, you've watched as Pastor Mike and his family. How long ago, Pastor Mike, did you leave for Brazil? Do you remember? In 1996, for those of you that were here, you watched a disciple 
Go to the nations. And because there was faithfulness in making disciples here, there are now disciples in Brazil. And who knows where those disciples in Brazil took the gospel. We've watched just a couple of years ago as Jack and Sharon Tucker left here to go to the Philippines. And now there are disciples in the Philippines because there was busy making disciples here. God will take them to the nations. That's not our job to take them anywhere. It's our job to make disciples where we are. Recently, it was in a tent revival, and I know many of you know about the tent revival that was taking place here in Luray, but it was the night before it started, and I was with, together with some pastors and some workers, and, and Tim Scott, the pastor of Main Street Baptist here in Luray, he, he was a missionary to India, and, and Tim prayed a prayer, and I have not been able to shake the prayer that he prayed that night. He said, Lord, would you bring people from countries that are closed to missionaries? Would you bring them to this revival? Would you let them hear of Jesus and give their hearts to Jesus and go home so that they can make disciples and take Jesus to the countries that no one else can go to? I heard that. And at first I was like, I love that. And my second thought was, why have I never prayed like that myself? I was so convicted. And I realize, you know, sometimes we look at this call of making disciples of all nations and we look at it as such a daunting task that we were so immobilized by fear and the vastness of the call that we don't do anything. Ah, oh, but we cannot at least not make disciples here where we are. One, one preacher said, and I don't know who it was, so forgive me, I can't credit him, but he says, it is very easy to build churches in which seekers congregate. You understand what that means? It's very easy to have a place where people who just want to get together to sing and listen to preaching, where they can go. That's easy. What's hard is to build churches in which biblical faith is maturing into genuine discipleship. That's what we want. We want to be a church that is making disciples. Because a culture of discipleship, as a culture of discipleship is developed, as we start looking for others and how can we bring others in and how can we pour Jesus into others, a culture of discipleship means that we no longer say, Making disciples is what we do. We no longer say that, but rather a disciple-making community is who we are. It's not what we do, but it's just who we are. Where it is natural for someone to walk in that door and be flooded by people to say, we're so thrilled you're here. Sit with me. Can I get together with you at some point? Can I have your phone number? Here's mine. And, and I would love to be able to see how can I invest in you and you invest in me? Because a disciple-making community is who we are. But now let's just kind of turn our attention to how and who. Where and when, I think, wherever you are. And whoever you're with, that's the where and the when. But, but how do I disciple and who do I disciple? Discipleship must begin with prayer. It must begin with prayer. I'm going to show you Luke chapter 10. It's a familiar passage to, to many of you. But Jesus is talking to his disciples about the harvest. And he says this. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Now, now catch this. How much weight does Jesus place on the disciples when it comes to the harvest? Who are they praying to? The Lord. Who sends the workers? The Lord. Whose harvest is it? The Lord's. What do the disciples do? We pray that God will strengthen and embolden Christians to obey the command to make disciples. And we pray, as I hope you're continuing to do, we pray that God will lead us to the person or to the people who will help, who we will help follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good in their lives. And as we pray, we expect discipleship begins with prayer, but discipleship is sharing a journey. And too often we, we worry about what we don't know. Like, I can't disciple someone I don't know enough. So we keep trying to learn more and more before we do. And one pastor said the average Christian is 1,000 Bible verses overweight. Meaning, it's not about how much you know. It's about what you're willing to do with what you already do know. So, so here's a simple question. Do you know your story? Do you know your story? And tell your story and connect it to his. This is who I was. And then I found out what Jesus did for me. Bless you. And now this is who I am. Who I was, what he did, who I am. Discipleship is sharing a journey. And I know you're thinking, but I'm not qualified. I'm, I, I know who I am. Like, I know my failures, my struggles, my limitations, and I am no example. And to that, I would respond, you're right. And so it's a really good thing we're not trying to give people more of you. The point of discipleship is to give people lots of Jesus, right? What did Moses say out of the burning bush? I can't, I can't. And what was God's response? I am. I am. I'm not worried about you, Moses. I know who I am. If we could just remind ourselves that we're nothing more than a branch that is connected to the vine, that we don't have to do anything but let the goodness of the vine flow through us and the fruit that sprouts on the branch is not the fruit of the branch. It's the fruit of the vine. We're just the conduit. Discipleship is just like telling people how good Jesus is, how good he's been to you, and then watch Jesus be good to them. As long as we can just keep telling our story, sharing our journey, and connecting it to Christ. More on the journey of discipleship. But discipleship is also about relationships. Because when you share the story of your journey, you want to do it with people you know. And, and here's my admonition. Start at home. In the book of Deuteronomy, as, as Moses was preparing the Israelites for where he was not going to go, right? So he's not going to go there. So he's preparing them for a place he's not going to go. And he's already received the Ten Commandments and many other principles for them to live by. And he gathers them together. And what Moses does not say is, and make sure that every week you go to listen to one person tell you how you're supposed to live. He didn't say that. He says, 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So you're, they're important to you. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. I mean, in essence, what Moses is saying is teach the word of God at home. For those of you that brought your children today, Sunday school is important and, and kids' church is, is awesome. A Christian school that we have is a, just a, an incredible blessing. But the greatest disciple makers in your children's life, mom and dad, without a doubt, mom and dad. So parents, may I encourage you, proclaim Jesus in your home so that you are seeing mature believers to be made and I don't mean you use the dinner table as a pulpit. What, what does this verse behind me say? As you sit in your house, as you walk, as you lie down, when you rise. Talk about Jesus when you're doing things, not just when you have a captive audience. I, I've, I've shared with you many times, if the Lord would give me a chance to raise my children again, I would jump at it. And I'm sure all of us that have children would say that, but... When I read books about understanding the gospel more, I, I was recently reading a book this past week, and a, a man talked about how he uses discipline in his home to teach the gospel. Can I, can I encourage you, parents? Listen to this. He uses discipline to teach the gospel. He says, yes, my, my kids, we always sit down and we always come to a conclusion on what they deserve for what they have done. This is what you've done. This is the punishment. Do you agree? Yes. And he said, then I'll tell them, but we're not going to punish you this time. You know what that's called? That's called mercy. Let me talk to you about the mercy that Jesus showed us. And then they, the next time, or one of the next times, they'll, they'll have a, a discipline issue and they talk about what the child deserves. No question about it. And then he says, you understand it? Yes. Go get in the car. We're going out for ice cream. Because this is what you deserve, but I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. That's called grace. Let me talk to you about the grace of Jesus. And hey, let me, let me talk to you about this. Do you, do, do you understand? You deserve to go sit in your room for the next 20 minutes until it's time for dinner. You can't do anything. You just sit there. Yes, sir. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go sit in your room for 20 minutes because that's called being a substitute. And Jesus was my substitute for what I deserved. So let's talk about the goodness of Jesus. I read that, and I'm honestly, sincerely saying this. I'm sorry to my own children. I shut the book, put it down, and just tears in my eyes like, oh, I wish I could have taught my children the gospel because all I did was say, if you don't do this, I won't accept you, which is legalism. If you don't do this, this is what I will do. And I'm not trying to get you to say, don't punish your children. I'm talking about, as you discipline your children, speak the truth of Jesus into them. Got to start at home. Because the greatest ministry we have is our family. But I don't know, some of you might be saying, well, pastor, I don't have children at home. Who should I disciple? And it's real simple. The book I read said, look for fat people. That's what it said. Disciple fat people. All right. Faithful, available, 
and teachable. Look for fat people. You're looking for someone who, who wants to know Christ. Someone, hey, I actually suggested, look for someone who's been baptized because if you look for someone who's been baptized, they've already proclaimed who, they, who they've placed their faith and trust in. They've publicly shared that with everyone. They've taken that first step of obedience. He said, but don't ever, don't ever try to disciple an unbeliever because an unbeliever that is in the natural state does not have the spirit of God to help them understand things. So look for someone who's faithful. Look for someone who's available. Whoops, look for someone who's available. Look for someone who's teachable, someone who's in your rhythm of life. And may I encourage you, if, if you're looking for a discipling relationship, we don't want to do mixed genders. Men should disciple men and ladies with ladies. It's unless you're married, of course, but yeah, it just make, makes things a lot simpler there. And, and you don't want to look for someone who's just like you. Maybe look, learn, look for someone who knows, maybe is in a different position of life. Sometimes an older looking for a younger, a younger looking for an older. Discipleship also is about teaching truth, modeling Christ, and loving others. You know, the foundation of discipleship, Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So our job as disciple makers is to teach what Jesus taught. What did Jesus teach? Well, we have the word of God. But think now, how did Jesus teach? It wasn't rare, or it wasn't uncommon for him to sit his disciples down and teach them in a setting. But for the most part, what Jesus did with his disciples is he did life with them and they had conversations along the way. So can I encourage you, as you think about someone to, to disciple on that little card, who can I disciple with? Think about, well, I wonder just maybe a passage of scripture that we could talk about this month, a chapter that we could read, a book we can read together, a devotional that we could do together. We talk about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. One pastor put, we need other believers to help us see things about ourselves that we cannot see. Talking about truth is like throwing paint on an invisible man. Areas in my life that need attention become visible as discipleship takes place. So that's, that's what we're trying to do is we talk, to, we talk truth. We begin to see areas in our life that need attention. Am I walking like Jesus? Am I talking like Jesus? We see. But he didn't simply say, just teach them. He said, teach them to observe. Teach them to obey. And it's what Jesus did in 1 Peter 2.21. He didn't just teach. He gave an example. So we would follow in his steps. To be honest, if you want what to know what discipleship is all about, it's doing what you ordinarily do and bringing people along with you to have meaningful conversations about how Christ fits in. It's all about Jesus. That core of discipleship is love. Because the greatest lesson Jesus ever taught was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the core of discipleship is love, but it's not our love for God. It begins with Christ's love for the Father. That's why he came. The Father's love for mankind. Our love for God and our neighbor and then our desire to see others see God. And finally, in closing, discipleship needs the body of Christ. 
You say, why can't I just make the to when I want to on my own and one reason I would say is because when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that the gates of hell would not prevail he wasn't talking to individuals he was talking about the church another reason is you can't do it all alone that's why he gave us the church there's not one person that can disciple everyone there's not even one person that can disciple all that one other person needs that's why we have this church if you look around how many different ages how many different backgrounds how many different walks of life we have all to invest in people to be able to know more about the savior that got us here so the question is are you willing to step out are you willing to obey your lord and savior and to make disciples because to be a biblical church you need to be making disciples and so what does that mean pray 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 god will help you become a disciple maker pray god will lead our church into becoming a disciple making community and can i encourage you over the next month join a life group a life group where people of different walks, different ages are all talking about truth. Because I'll tell you what discipleship is not. Sitting in a big room like this, listening to one blowhard talk. That's, this is not discipleship. It's a part of discipleship, but this is not discipleship. Discipleship is taking that journey. And then what I'm going to ask you to do as we close today is ask someone to grow with you in Jesus during the month of August. So you have that card. And here's what I'm like asking you to do. Pray. Lord, who, who can I grow with? I don't care who the disciple or disciple it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to die. who can I grow with for 30 days? And that would mean to pick something Christ-centered to talk about. Again, whether it's a passage of Scripture, whether it's a chapter, whether it's a, a spiritual book, a devotion, or just something that is Christ-centered that you regularly share over the month. I'm asking you to do two other things. Schedule a time where you meet in person over the next month, away from these four walls. Nothing to do with this church. Nothing to do with this property. Find somewhere to sit together to talk about Jesus, where people are, when they are there. And then at the end of the month, pray about whether God would have you continue to meet, and if so, who you could include. Because discipleship is all about multiplication. Twelve disciples to turn the world upside down. We pray, join a life group, and ask someone to grow with you for the next 30 days. Would you pray with me?